We are in Leviticus chapter 20 today, and this is, for the most part, a shift that's going to begin to happen between now and next week as it pertains to the book of Leviticus, still written to the, to the people, the, the common people, uh, the normal people, the, the non-priestly people in the book of Leviticus is what this uh, chapter is addressed to today, but then next week, the chapter is addressing those of the priestly caste. So these admonitions are dealing with us normal folk. And then next week, these, the admonitions will turn to the priestly caste. So normal people <laughs> and then the priestly caste and their responsibilities. That's what's happening. But it's all about living with holy distinction. And so today would be probably a final warning against defilement. Now defilement has been a big word in the book of Leviticus. And we read those words and they're very old-fashioned. I know they are. Uh, no one says to anyone, like, you know, you have defiled my clothes. No one says, no one speaks that way. Um, but yet, the very things that, that we see playing out in our culture is actually defilement. It's, it's, it's what the old, the, old, the old tongue would say is, is using the word defilement. And, uh, and so, this is the language used. So, this is a warning then against defilement. So, also, parents, there are some verses that are going to be read here that you might have to explain later. I'm sorry. Uh, it's in the Scripture, though, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to too, uh, um, get too descriptive on them. I don't think I need to do that. But we are going to read all of this chapter because I don't think there's a way we can appreciate it unless we do read all of it. So, let's stand in honor of God and His Word in Leviticus chapter 20. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Again, and I like that, this is again. This is again, where God is giving it again. You shall say to the children of Israel, whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man and I will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech, and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off from his people. And all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from, from his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. And you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with a male 
as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man marries a woman and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that there may be no wickedness among you. If a man mates with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and he shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister, his father's daughter of his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his guilt. If a man lies with a woman during this time of things, uh, both of them shall be cut off from their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, nor of your father's sister, for that would uncover his near of kin. They shall bear their guilt. Verse 20, if a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin, and they shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. Verse 22 is a a capitulation back to verse 7. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. Notice this part. That the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you. For they commit all these things. So they're one doing all the stuff we just read. And therefore I abhor them, which is a strong word for hate. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean, between unclean birds and clean And you shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any of of living or by or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And you shall be holy again. Notice this verse 26, 22 and verse seven. You shall be holy to me for I am the Lord or I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. A man or a woman who is a medium or who has familiar spirits shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Let's pray. Whoa, Lord, uh, that's a tough chapter. That's ugly stuff that you just pulled right out there. And that is, that is, our, that is our culture, God. As it was happening then, so it's happening today. And God, just as you called your your people to be distinct and holy then, so you call your people to be distinct and holy today. So Lord, while we aren't called to stone each other, we are called to hold each other accountable. We thank you for the blood of Jesus who has fulfilled to perfection all that these laws required and bore in himself these penalties which are so severe. Oh God, and such were some of us. But then you opened our mind, our hearts. You regenerated us and you saved us, gave us your Holy Spirit and now have called us to live distinct and holy lives. So God, help us to understand 
the severity of what you had called your nation back then to model. And then, Lord, the overlay of all of those truths to us today under the new covenant of grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So who all wants to read that again? Uh, Okay. (laughs) So, uh, obviously, then you understand why it's called a warning against defilement. Because all of these things that we read are descriptive, and they are gross, and they are unnatural. I believe in passages past, when we talked about this last time, the words were used of confusion and wickedness. And that's exactly what it is. And I will tell you this, God has not changed His mind on how He feels about those things. Also, interesting to note, going into this passage or into this chapter, is the fact that these were the very sins that the land of Canaan, the nations that indwelt Canaan, were committing. And the, and the actual uh, consequence of that was that the land was going to vomit them out. You cannot sustain a lifestyle of sexual perversion or open worship of the demonic or disrespect for the elderly or the disrespect for young life and have a culture. I read to you, remember, the, the, the study from 1934 of the 84 different or 86 different cultures that the man studied that spanned 1,500 years and all of them that committed these wicked atrocities ceased to exist. So this, this chapter then is sort of a summation of these things. A warning against defilement. Now, do you think we're the kind of people that need to be warned? I, for sure, right? We do. Uh, when we're little, we tend to demonstrate that. Now, from a commentator's perspective, you look at this chapter, and here's how they outline it. <laughs> you have an introduction. Speak to the congregation. You have sins against religion. Okay, you don't seek familiar spirits and things. You have an exhortation to holiness, as we said there in verse 7. You have sins against family, which are all the sexual sins and things. and dis- Well, disrespect against uh, elderly, your mom and dad, and then sin- sexual sins. And then you have another exhortation to holiness. And then it's followed and closes with the sins against religion again. So that's kind of a loose but a very good scope of how the chapter can be outlined. Gordon writes, or Mr. Winham, or Dr. Winham, or this fella, the difference between the laws in this chapter and previous ones, now we've already read these before, if you remember, we've went over these before, it's already, this is a repeat, these laws, this chapter is a repeat of what's already been said, but he said the difference between the laws in this chapter and previous ones lie in their form. Those in chapters 18 and 19 are apodictic in form, that is, They forbid or command certain types of behavior, but they rarely indicate what the consequences of disregarding these rules would be. In contrast, the laws in this chapter are casuistic. That is, they state what must be done should one of the apodictic rules be broken. They set out what will befall a lawbreaker in such a case. In this way, they supplement and reinforce what is found 
in earlier chapters. The first thing we run into when we read in chapter 20 is this issue of child sacrifice. In verse 2, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel. That means anyone that's living there. Who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Why was that so severe? Well, Molech, Baal, Ashtoreth, and all of these false gods of the Canaanite religions had a great appetite for child sacrifice. They took the infants. I don't remember up to, to what age. But there were, there, were, there were bronze altars of arms with a big gaping mouth to this God like he's eating them. And there was a roaring, raging fire. And they would simply roll their babies and children off into this hot, inferno mouth God named Moloch. It's surely demonic. And do you think that's gone from the land today? No, it's just a lot cleaner. We like to refer to it as abortion. Okay, but it's, it's, it's child sacrifice. It's, it's child sacrifice at the altar of the God of self. Now, they did it to gain the God's attention so they could have more rain or, or better produce in their fields or, or whatever. But now, because everyone knows all the food you need comes from the grocery store, okay, or at least McDonald's, so you don't have to worry about ever running out of that. So you, you don't even have to appease the gods for your, for your nourishment. You can just simply live to your carnal appetites. And it's all about, I, I want to do what I want to do, i.e. have sex, with whoever I want to have it with, and should I get pregnant, oh well, I'll just kill it so I can continue on, because after all, my happiness is of chief import. Now that, what I said, while bad, sounds a whole lot better than what we read here, but it's the same thing. Okay? Moloch worship, abortion, or if you don't like that word, you can call it infanticide. That sounds even better. But it's not. It's the killing of the young. I look at our little ones that we have in the church, and I look at our little grandkids, and I can't imagine the kind of heart or so, the darkness that would have to exist that would cause anyone to think that they're optional and that their life doesn't matter and that if they had their chance, they would kill them. Moloch worship. God goes on to say then in verse 3, I will set my face against that man. How would you like that? I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people. That means put him to death because he has given some of his descendants to Moloch. To defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. When these atrocities happen, 
It is an actual in-your-face moment to God. I'm going to do what I want to do, no matter what, because it's what's convenient for me. I worship myself, not realizing that every act of self-worship is open worship to Satan himself. Okay? No, you don't go along to get along. You take stands. And the more I learn about this, the more I've seen where I have dropped the ball in my own personal life. We must speak the words of life in this world. We also must speak the warnings. Now, we have two political parties in this nation, it seems. Oh, I know there's more, but... And the wickedness that is existent in them, and one in particular, is beyond comprehension. And it's getting so that we really as a church need to take warning against who we identify with politically and take more thought into who we identify with as our God and King. Who is He? And how should I live? Who I align with, who I endorse, is a reflection of who I think He is. It gets kind of tough. And we're left many times scratching our head going, (laughs) hmm, don't know what to do. Should I eat the tomato that's cracked and, 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 and dripping out on the ground, or should I eat the one that's just moldy but not cracked? They're both pretty gross, <laughs> right? Well, you just don't eat, and I'm supposed to starve. So I don't, you know, this gets hard, and this is no occasion for that conversation, but I'm saying is we, the, the, the worse it gets, the more complex that defilement is. Kind of like this. We were, in, we were in Arkansas. And there was a condenser unit outside. And Rindy was in the house that day. And I was off at the church. And suddenly you heard a big. And she went out. And there was this huge snake. Had gotten down in the fan. And had been intertwined. All up into the fan. Tell me a good way to deal with that. I just didn't like it at all, okay? And uh, that's how things are, right? But I had to deal with it. I would have preferred if the reptile would have stayed out, okay? Well, after speaking to this, notice what the Lord goes into. He said, if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man who gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not kill him, Then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off from his people and and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry. So do you see God is using uh, sexual imagery to a degree of violating their allegiance to him? He's talking about your So your soul is prostituting itself to go after false gods. 
Idolatry is spiritual prostitution. And God says that not only would he hold the ones who committed these acts, but those who knew they did so and didn't say anything. For all the preachers in the house, whenever you're preaching a message, that look you give when you're preaching the message, and suddenly you realize just how much bigger it is, and you're learning things yourself that you're not sure you're ready to deal with. Okay? So, God looks at the whole scope of it. And the people who look on casually. He will cut them off. Well, what about verse 6? Because you know what? You can't have open child sacrifice accepted in a culture like the Canaanites and not have open demonic worship. It says here, And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Mediums and familiar spirits. Now everyone should know what this is. This is, we could refer to it as new age. That sounds really good. That's not as bad as you're a medium and a familiar spirit, right? Uh, We're certainly not going to say demonic allegiance. What about just being spiritual? That's so much better. A little bit of honey makes the medicine go down, right? But in fact, the Bible refers to it as mediums and familiars. Those who, those who conjure up the dead. Well, they, they say it's the dead, but it's not really the dead. It's just demonic spirit, uh, spirits ready to make you think that it's your dead relative imitating and you go oh this medium is wonderful these familiar spirits are always referred to then as the demonic and i don't know why they call them familiar exactly i just know that we do find that in the new age that got piped into our country many years ago uh (laughs) at the risk of sounding like a uh a 60s preacher okay with a really black suit and the horn rim glasses um, I, I kind of believe that a lot of it has to do with what was piped into our young culture through music, through rock music, the themes. Uh, certainly the TVs, we've talked about that. But you cannot say at all that that did not have a great impact on the church. By the way, parents, if you have young ones and they have cell phones or tablets, and you have no clue what's on that phone. Why? Why again? You're in dereliction if you don't know. Yes, you have the right to snoop through their private stuff. You sure do. Okay. If you love them that, you, you'll, you'll do that. You'll do that. The kids, I, I, I keep thinking, so when we have Royce, you know, I try to reason with Royce. He's not yet two. And uh, some things are all yes, even when they're no, and so on. But I realize that even when he becomes older, even a teenager, they're still young. They think they know. They got it all figured out, man. But they don't. 
And they're even, even more danger. Parent, your job is to parent first, then be their friend after that. Know what your kids are into. Love your children. Protect your kids. And right now, everything is aimed in on them. And they have, they, meaning the, the woke people and the, the, the political leaders and all of that, have said, we're coming after your kids. I got to reading on this too, and it turns out that this is one of the core tenets that communism, when seeking to take over a culture, does. They target the young people. And they begin to cause them to question what the parents say. That's why they hate Christianity so much. It's because it gives people hope and allows them to think for themselves, not with the party line. So they've got to get the young people to change that. Also, there's a redefining of terms. Such as, well, we don't really refer to it as abortion. We refer to it as infanticide. Or if you want to go even further, you could dress it up any other way you want. Right? As we'll soon see, as we get down and we progress, verse 7 talks about after this warning between child sacrifice and between consulting the demonic for your life, God reminds them, consecrate yourselves. Stand back from it. Be apart from it. Now, I want to say here, too, that doesn't mean go live like a monk in the nearest cave you can find and have food flown into you. That doesn't mean that. What it does mean is live separately, redemptively. I keep thinking of the salt shaker because I'm really simple, okay? And if you don't get the salt out of the shaker, it doesn't do any good for the food, Get it out of the cabinet. Sprinkle it around a bit. Be separately, redemptively. Not separate, self-preservationally. Be separate, redemptively. Consecrate yourselves. You are to be different. And say why. They are loudly He says, I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. This is serious. Yes, it matters how you live. Yes, it matters what you watch on TV. Yes, it matters the books you read. Yes, it matters the people that you unite your soul to, which is very different than working with or, or, or hanging out with in the sense when, when you do it redemptively, you're the one drawing the boundaries. But when you do it with soul, now you are literally opening yourself up to whatever it is they want to sell you. And they will never tire of trying to get the Christian to capitulate. One of my worst fears... Is if I I left that I have a crack in my door and a snake 
goes through that hole and ends up at the foot of the bed under the covers and I put my feet down there and suddenly that sucker wraps around my toes with fangs and right that sets me alive and I don't like that that possibility at all you know what could happen right now everyone's ruined <laughs> you got a crack in your door if you're a dude you better go go to Home Depot and get a kit and fix that okay because you don't want that to happen well that's your soul every day when you go out Do you leave it cracked for the influence of the enemy to slither in and wrap himself around your, your soul and put his fangs right into the vein of your thinking? Because that's what happens. It's very descriptive. Well, it has to be. And God says, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, verses 9 through 21 gives a long list of really nasty sexual things. First, it begins with Cursing parents. When you don't respect your mom and your dad. Now for those of you who grew up with abusive parents. Who now are born again. I would just admonish you this. Love the Lord your God enough. To forgive your folks. Even though it's hard. And you will have to probably do it the rest of your natural life. And seek some way. To demonstrate the kingdom to them. Because they're dead. But do you understand outside of those circumstances what happens to a culture that no longer respects the old or their parents? Jesus warned of those things. Adultery is just another dressed up word for having sex with someone that's not your spouse. Fornication is the word we use for sex with when you're not married at all with someone else that's not married at all. You don't do those things. But if that is unbridled in a culture or celebrated, what happens to the culture? It becomes very permissive, right? Well, then notice when you start having that, and I've alluded to before, Dr. Al Mohler talked about this in, in one of his books, then you begin to reap what you've sown with your sexual sins. You, you reap worse ones. Incest, we all know what that is. Homosexuality, polygamy, bestiality, pedophilia. Now, we've dressed up those words. Disrespect for parents is still disrespect for parents. Having an affair, you know, an affair. And then electoral love. It sounds like a 70s disco or something, okay? But, but this is what they choose to refer to this idea of, of other marriages with multiple people and all of these kinds of things. Electoral love. Pedophilia, or also known as MAPS. Now, this is recent. It used to be in our culture that pedophilia was the word used for those who purveyed on children. But that's recently changed to minor attracted persons. You know why? Because it sounds better. You want to know why? 
Because at the advent of the homosexual movement gave birth to the transsexual movement, gave birth to the pedophilia movement for all for acceptance. And if you name it something else like same-sex love or, or all love is equal, then suddenly it doesn't sound so bad. You see? And then finally, zoophilia. This is also something that's being promoted lately. It used to be called bestiality. That's an ugly name. But zoophilia? That sounds like a children's book. In fact, it is in children's books. So, when you have a different vernacular that you can dress these nasty things up as and you can start selling it to the culture, it's not so bad. I mean, after all, if they can be true to themselves, then why can't the MAPS people be true to themselves? Or the zoophilia people? I mean, after all, we don't want them to kill themselves because we're so concerned for their health, says the federal government. I say all that to say, without going through the list, God calls it, and I quote, perversion, abominations, wickedness, in other chapters 18 and 19, confusion. And then he says he abhors it. All of this is being spoken to the young fledgling nation of Israel as they're going into this land and they're going to see these people. And God says, don't let it stick to you. Because I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, right? Don't compromise. When in fact we know later... They did compromise. It took, I want to say, something around 700 years. And they finally succumbed to those abominations. First, the northern kingdom. And then last, Judah. Jeremiah. Hosea first, and then Jeremiah. They talk all about these, Isaiah. But God said clearly, again and again, don't do it. The verses 7 and 8, and I would go ahead and add chapter or verse 22 and 23. So set yourselves apart to be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep all my decrees by putting them into practice that I am the Lord who makes you holy. For I am the Lord that makes you holy. Don't forget the statutes. Don't Your word I have hidden in my heart, O Lord, that I may not sin against you. Which reminds me then of 1 Peter. Right? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, this is our admonition. Okay, now we've, we've, we've went from old covenant shadow, we've now, we're now into new covenant substance. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. We know that God desires us to be obedient Still, not conforming ourselves to the former lusts when you were ignorant. Or in other words, when you were unregenerate, when you were dead in your sin. You don't go back. 
But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And this goes back to Leviticus 19 and finally in 20. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. There it is again. So do you see how every time this is brought up, whether it be Old, Old Testament or New Testament, it's repeated often. It's repeated. And yet we don't see much holiness in the church at large. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Live with godly fear. The way you act, the way you live. And, and, and I know we all struggle with that. It's not about perfection. But it's about a... You should have as a born-again child of God a, a compulsion inside of you that hates your sin when it happens. You, you can't wait till you're done with this, this, this life so that you can see Him face-to-face -face unfiltered, right? And you get a new body. And with, all without this old residual you hate it so bad but you strive you strive to promote Christ you strive to live and man you get into positions and or situations and you don't act like you should and you're studying and going okay next time when this happens this is what I got to do to be more of what the Lord would have me to be so you're, you're starting to become proactive that's sanctification happening in your life how you live Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And how many times do we struggle the world, and in, in, in American culture in particular, because it's so bizarre, right? Says, please pay more attention to your political landscape. Because your hope is there. No, it's not. But they keep screaming it, right? And, and I so appreciate the brothers and sisters that are in the fray. I wish I knew more of them so I could... Support them and help them and pray for them. And I am not advocating that we any longer be silent. But my hope is in God. And God judges sin. And I know that. So therefore, when I'm called before Him, I want to be, I want to Him, I want Him to say, Well done. You did, you did good. And then a big old fat hug that lasts for a couple millennia, okay? Well, I've already read 22. God, is in sin, God wants us to keep his decrees. And then as we read on through the end of that passage, we understand that it closes after the, the third or the second admonition to, to be holy. And after how God feels about these largely sexual sins that are attached to the demonic. It always is. Now I want you to pay a close attention in our culture. I'm going I'm to leave it with this. 
You cannot have unbridled sexual immorality without an expansion of the demonic. You cannot. You cannot. I want to close with something I read in uh, John Snyder, the Behold Your God, page 176. Okay. We're talking about holiness, and we're talking about how God was admonishing Israel to be that way, under that system. We are admonished out, out of the new covenant to be holy, referring back to what God had said in the foundation, right? I love what John Snyder wrote. True holiness begins with a change of heart. The deepest desires. One of the first verses I ever heard as a Christian was, did you know that God will give you all the desires of your heart? (laughs) Syntax means a lot when you're talking about how to interpret Scripture. And then I come to understand that He gives from origin the desires. See? He doesn't give me what I want. He gives me what He wants me to want. Thank God. The Christian has a new heart. And this new heart sees the perfections of Jesus Christ in a way that distracts him from the lesser attractions of sin. These are all very fat, poignant thoughts, are they not? The Christian has a new heart. And this new heart sees the perfections of Jesus Christ in a way that distracts him from the lesser attractions of sin. One of the things that that always baffles me and will be until the day I die is this idea of apostasy in the church. I have, as ministers, and if you're here and you're pastors or whatever, we, we see many people, some of them are shocking, that profess Christ, even look like they have fruit, and they seem to know the Scripture, and they emanate, then they just turn their back. I don't. There was never a root. There was never a root. Because the heart was not really changed. A heart that is saved sees the perfections of Jesus. And it's so powerful that it distracts them from the lesser attractions of sin. Now, not 100% of the time, (laughs) but primarily, yeah. A holy life results when we find something infinitely more interesting than living for ourselves. Right? Living for the altogether lovely Jesus. Hypocrisy occurs when a religious person sees nothing more attractive than themselves. And them getting what they want. He may see the benefits of keeping rules. Of attending church. Of being very diligent. In all the right things. What he does not see. In the great attraction. Or is the great attraction of Christ himself. And I think this is the root of apostasy. As soon as the hypocrite is promised what he wants. Heaven restored. Marriage. Family. Happy children. Sense of purpose. He will stop pursuing a life that desires to walk progressively nearer to Christ. I'm hurting. I'm upset. I'm mad. I've been in drugs. I'm just a bad, mean person. 
I've got this Christian friend tells me I need Jesus, says he'll make my life better. I need the gospel, so I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to give it the old college try. Do we still say that? I don't think anyone tries in college hard anymore. Anyway, so we're going to do that, and, and I'm going to get really proficient at it, and I'm going to do it for a while, depending on how much, you know, stamina I've got. <laughs> but then after a while, it doesn't, it's just nothing. So that's, that's what apostasy is made of. And then closing. But faith sees Christ as the great treasure of Christianity. And thus will continue to motivate the believer to walk in holiness with the Savior. That's the motivation. When it comes to faith in Christ, loving is believing is what he finishes with. I like that. So, who or what you love the most is the object of your worship. And Jesus alludes to that in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Do you know Jesus today? Do you, do you have a, a spiritual compulsion in you that you, you've never known before? That's showing you your sin and showing you your, 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 your wickedness. And it's telling you. It is time to give it up. And you're being drawn. I want to tell you, do not resist. Though you, could, though you think you could resist the God of heaven? I would say, lean into that. Confess Christ. Repent. Live. Christian. Do you need to re recalibrate? Do you need to realign? Yeah. We're going to spend a few moments. Daisy's going to play. The altar is open. Whatever the Lord leads you to do.